Well, that's quite a promise we've just been singing. I'm sure most of you have, at one time or another, been summoned to some sort of grand event whereby someone was going to be a finalist, whether your child or you or a friend or family member, or they were going to be picked as the winner or they were going to be elected either because of uh, votes or some score or some sort of accounting or quota, whatever. And um, there was criterion somehow for how the decision was made. Who will the winners be? Who will those who are chosen be and why? What placed them ahead of everybody else? Well, I want to take you this morning to the grandest event and the greatest ceremony and gathering of all time that is pictured for us in the scriptures, and that happens to be the grand scene of the final accounting, where Jesus Christ will come again with all of his glory and with his angels and will sit on his throne with the backdrop of the glory of heaven, and there he will separate the nations, placing some people on his right and some people on his left. And in the text it says, when the Son of Man comes, the King will say, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now that, of all the statements you'll ever hear in your life, is the statement you want to hear personally. Come, you who are blessed, take your inheritance, the kingdom, which is prepared for you since the creation of the world. This morning, as we continue on in our journey through the gospel of Matthew, we come to Jesus' very final sermon before his Passion Week, before his crucifixion. And um, he is talking here in particular about inheritance. And I want to make certain at the outset before we dive in that we understand something about inheritance. Inheritance is never earned. You inherit something by virtue of qualifying to be in the family. That's what an inheritance is. And so this morning as we dig into the text and the term that is used is inheritance, we are looking at the evidence that we should look for in our lives that entitles us to have certain hope of an inheritance. And the qualification, it seems to me, that stands out in this text is you who are blessed the blessed are entitled to inheritance. And way back when, in Matthew chapter 5, we talked about the reality of blessing. You don't work to be blessed, you are blessed and you work. And so it is with inheritance. The qualification seems to be blessed. Not blessed because of inheritance, but inheritance because of blessed. Now, I'm not a judge in family court matters, but I'm pretty certain 
that qualifying for an inheritance requires some legitimate proof of relatedness to the one who has died and left something behind. Now, get this. Jesus is on the edge of his crucifixion moment. He's going to die for us. And he talks about inheritance that he's leaving for us, the blessed. We qualify for that inheritance by being in his family. So he's really talking to us this morning. And the audience that he's talking to is my people. The distinctives of my people. And so this morning as we look at a particular section, although I'm going to cover chapter 25 and 24 today, which should cause all of you to be distressed in some way. There are three ways that loyalty we're going to see is lived out in light of the now present and yet coming kingdom. What blessed people do, those who are in the family of God. Uh, If your Bibles are with you this morning, or your iPads, or whatever assorted ways you look into God's Word, would you please go to Matthew chapter 5 right now? I prefer the rustling of pages. That's just because I'm old. (laughs) Matthew chapter 25, and I want to zero in on 31 to 46 as our primary text, but as I said, we're going to take a journey through uh, all of these two chapters this morning. Looking for loyalty, what that looks like. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of God. This is uh, one one of the more serious places in the scriptures 
a place of uh, sober soul searching, searching, a place of conviction, a place of decision, a, a place that can't be glossed over or not thought deeply about. Because this is a picture of our future. We have been given an open window insight into something that will for sure happen in your life. Without question. And so, uh, given a glimpse into our future is a very significant thing. And so this morning, I want to urge you to shut away any distraction that you might have or anything that you're mulling over and focus intentionally here. And I'm going to ask that the Lord would help us to do that. Our Father, these are serious words of Jesus. Really, the last words of warning that he gave to mankind before he went to the cross to make it possible for our salvation and eternal life. And our Father, these words have emanated down through the centuries as warning, as a sentinel of an event yet to come. And I pray, Father, this morning that we will take and give to this text the seriousness it deserves. That our lives will be brought into alignment with your word today. And that we will examine ourselves very carefully because the stakes here are of eternal consequence. Eternal damnation or eternal life. One way or the other. There is no middle ground. There is no compromise. There is one or the other. We are either on one side or the other side. We are either on the right or the left right now. If we are on the left, that can change today. God, I pray that you would visit us powerfully. Would your Holy Spirit work in our lives Convict us, bring us a sense of awareness and understanding of your word in an unusual measure. And then I pray, Father, that you would draw our hearts to the place where we must be, all of us in this room, for Jesus' sake, amen. I want to, as I said, pick out three ways that loyalty is lived out. And I want to do, uh, give you the first point as a review of everything we've done within three or four minutes to this point. We're going to cover Matthew chapter 4 right through to Matthew chapter 23. And it is simply this, that those who are loyal now are those who understand that the ruling and reigning of Jesus the King in the everyday hearts of the redeemed in this unexpected form of the kingdom. That we understand that we are in the kingdom of God, that we are, as his followers, as his redeemed, part of his kingdom. 
Now, this is what the blessed have signed up for. And there's a number of scripture texts that I want to run through very quickly so that we understand who we are and how we became what we are. In the word of God, in Matthew 4, 17, it says, repent. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We are those who have changed our minds. God has changed our minds, and we have turned from idols to the living Christ. That's what repentance is all about. We are those who understand, he said, to come and follow him, and I will make you fishers of men, he said. We are those who have abandoned any personal dreams or direction that are in the way of Christ's leading in our lives. He also proclaimed to us in Matthew chapter 6 that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to us or given to us as well. We are seekers first always of his kingdom, authority, his rule and his reign. Uh, the stuff that's needed comes along with that. He also said to us, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. We are door openers to the eternal realities and eternal truth of a saving Jesus Christ. That's why it's very, very important to take our responsibility seriously on weekends like the Easter weekend to take the opportunity to go to our friends and our family and our neighbors and, 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 and lost co-workers and all of those and be those who invite people to experience the open door of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We show the way uh, to the gospel of Christ. We are door openers for eternity for people. He also said that in his kingdom, if anyone comes after him, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The expected shape of the present form of the kingdom is a passionate, changed people who are banking it all on Christ and his eternal promises. That's who we are in a nutshell. We are a kingdom of changed lives, not some sort of, uh, of material or physical splendor. That's yet to come. But this unexpected form of the kingdom is, a, is Jesus Christ assembling a, a, a company, a community, a nation of people uh, with changed lives who serve him by faith as Lord and Savior. That's who we are. He rules and reigns in our hearts. Now that's taught to us in practical ways from Matthew, the beginning of Matthew right to the point where we have arrived this morning. And at this point, in Matthew chapter 24, it says in verse 1 that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And he said to them, do you see these things? It's all coming down. And they were like, what? In fact, they had to they had to sort of um, digest that for a while. They were, as, as they were leaving the temple area, they were walking out to the Mount of Olives. And it wasn't until they got there that they started to question him about what he had just said. Because for them, it was just another one of those shocking Messiah statements. What do you mean? The temple, the very epicenter, the center of God worship is coming down. This is not what messiahs do. 
The Messiah we were looking for was going to come and rescue us and liberate us from Rome and give us really important places in the kingdom. And of course, you would cause the temple to be a most opulent place where we would worship the living God. And you're now telling us it's coming down. This is just another one of those Messiah quandaries. The backdrop for what Jesus is about to do and teach from this point has everything to do with the fact that when he walked away from the temple, he was turning his back on it for good. And the center of attention would now shift for all time to Jesus Christ. He's the center of attention. He's the the central place of worship. It is Christ who is all in all. And so he talks to his disciples now about this uh, temple all coming down and, 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 uh, and they ask him a number of questions and he now unfolds to them what the history of, uh, of God's timeline is going to look like. And he stresses something to them. We, aren't, we don't have time to, to detail. I mean, chapter 24 of Matthew is one of the most complex pieces of literature in all the world in terms of, of analyzing and interpreting. We, we aren't going to take the time to do that. I want to pastorally point out to you that this unfolds for us, the end times, what's going to happen. But in particular, I want to point out to you that Jesus Christ said those who are loyal to him who are living in light of the now present kingdom and the kingdom yet to come, uh, recognize that there is an end to human history coming and it will be sudden. And you are to live every day as if the king will call in his accounts on that day, on this day. Now, where do I get that from? In, In verse 42, he says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. When Jesus walked away from the temple for the last time, the center of attention shifted to Christ and his inauguration of these last days. It's not going to be about buildings, it's not going to be about traditional thrones, and this time in between is not going to be about grand appointments, it's not going to be about settling international scores. It is building up to a main event where Christ will return and claim his people. And just as creation was sudden, the the sudden creation of human history, so will be a sudden end to human history. It won't be obscure. In fact, in verse 27, he says this to them, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be, bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. It will not be obscure. And just as there was an original and sudden creation, one, a week of creation, there is a final week of the end of human history, Daniel's 70th week. Therefore, he says, I am building a people for a final showdown and qualification for the promised glorious eternal kingdom that is coming, where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more disappointments, no more discouragements, no more um, um, sickness, no more death, no more enemies, no more struggle. Therefore, he says, 
Keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. How many believe the Lord is coming again? How many believe it will be sudden? How many believe it could be today? How many believe it could be before I finish preaching? How many are wishing it would be before I finish preaching? Put those hands down, Howie. Only get to vote with one hand. Jesus could come back before we finish here this morning. Pastor Dwayne. Sudden and visible. And therefore, those who believe this, Jesus goes on to say in verse 44, must be ready. It's not good enough to know all of this. See, here's what I know. Lots of hands went up, maybe all the hands, I don't know. You believe in the sudden return of Christ. You believe it could be today. You believe by the show of hands that it could be and you're hoping before my sermon is complete. But you don't really believe that. You believe it in your head, but you don't think it's going to happen. Not today. Not before this service is over. You know how I know that? Because if you really believed that, we wouldn't have a ticket left for Good Friday. You would already have passionately been out trying to urge people to come and hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes on to share with his disciples at the Mount of Olives, whereby the place, by the way, he will return. He goes on to tell them that not only do you need to believe this and be watching, but you need to be ready. And he gives them three stories that they can understand that give a picture of readiness. And then he gives them an insight into their own history or their own future, which will be the judgment. And it's that I want to spend the rest of our time together talking to you about. The faithful and wise, thirdly, the true kingdom citizens will be prepared for the king. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. See? We don't really expect him today. We believe he could come today, but we don't really expect him today. So I want to share with you for a few moments what readiness lives like from the word of God. Starting at verse 45 of chapter 24, there are these three stories. One um, writer, and I don't know who it is, he or her, him or she, I don't know. But this is what they said. Living each day so you are neither afraid of tomorrow nor ashamed of yesterday. That's a good definition of ready, I think. Living each day so you are neither afraid of tomorrow nor ashamed of yesterday. 
And so he starts out with, who is the faithful and wise servant in verse 45? And he said, he gives the story about a master who goes away and leaves some servants in charge. And he describes the, the ones that are ready for his return, his coming back to check on them, as those who are busy about his work, feeding and helping and taking care of his servants, taking care of people. But the others, it says, verse 48, um, my master's staying away a long time, which, by the way, was his hint, I think, to the audience of the moment that his return might not be immediate for them. And they begin to beat the fellow servants, verse 49, and eat and drink with drunkards. You have two kinds of people here. One kind are minding the matters of the king even when he doesn't seem to be around. And the others who are living badly behind his back. Now which do you think are ready? It appears obvious, but the text tells us that the ones who were beating people up behind his back or living badly behind his back, it says that they will be cut to pieces and signed to the place of hypocrites because that's how they're living, like hypocrites, and they'll be thrown into a place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is none other than hell itself. Now, who are those doing the Lord's work? They're the kind that are examining their lives daily. They're the kind that are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They are the ones who are keeping short accounts with God in terms of sin in their lives, making sure that nothing goes unexposed or unrepented of. They're the kind that are saying yes to Jesus and no to sin. I heard a sermon before I came here this morning that was very good on, on um, this idea of, of, of having... Um, an attitude in our hearts of, of complete openness to Jesus. That our minds and our hearts and our lives are yes to Jesus before he even finishes the whole question. I want you to, yes. I want you to go, yes. I want you to give, yes. Instead of waiting to hear the whole ask and then deciding if we like what Jesus is asking us to do. These are the kind of people who are doing the work of the Lord even when he doesn't seem to be around. And if the master returns and finds that that servant has done a good job, there will be reward. But here's the deal. Since you don't know what time the king will come back, living badly is reckless and risky. You see, it's how you are when the king comes back that matters. It's not how you were 20 years ago that determines destiny. It's how he finds you when he comes back. He goes on in the second story to give a marriage picture, an ancient Near East picture of wedding customs which is amazing and fascinating here. He talks about um, the groom and a wedding. And what maybe many of you don't understand about an ancient Near East wedding custom is that, that the, the groom would engage a bride and then he would go back to live in his father's home. And there, back in his father's home, he would prepare a place 
in addition to the Father's spread for his bride. And, and when the place was prepared, the Father would say, now it's time to go and get your bride. You've prepared a place for her, now go and get her and bring her back and take her to where you are so that where you are she may be also. Have you ever heard stuff like that before? I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you. Here's the clinker, though, for the ladies. The bride didn't know the hour or the day that the groom was coming. She and her virgin attendants had to be ready. So the picture here is of five who had lamps and oil ready to light them and be part of the grand procession. The groom is here. The groom is here. Let's take this great joyous party to the, to the marriage celebration and then the wedding supper of the lamb, marriage supper of the groom and bride. But it says there were five who, well, they thought they would have time and so they didn't have oil with their lamps. It says in the text that um, when the groom was, was uh, uh, on his way and arriving and, and the message went out, the groom, the bridegroom is coming. They, they said to the others, give us some of your, give us some of your uh, oil. There have been a lot of people in evangelical churches who have been living off the borrowed blessings of the real, the genuine for years, thinking that they will have time to get serious later. There'll be some sort of warning, there'll be some sort of signal, I'll have time to clean up my act. Jesus said, well, if you're thinking like that, you're thinking very incorrectly. Because when these virgins who didn't have the oil went away to try and purchase some and came back to the wedding, the door was closed. And they asked to come in. And the bridegroom said, I don't know who you are. And they were cast out. You see, um, readiness means living every day with vigilant fullness in Christ. Rather than waiting to get serious about the Lord someday. The command in the word of God is be filled with the spirit. Live full of God. Daily saying yes to Jesus. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit is, if you will receive this, our engagement ring? In 2 Corinthians 5.5, Paul writes there and tells the Corinthians that the Spirit of God is our deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing that the marriage will take place. But when that door shuts, it will be too late. He gives one more illustration from verses 14 to verse 30. 
gives the picture of, again, diligent servants entrusted with property, entrusted with, with uh, actually entrusted with the goods and services and wealth of the king. And some are given, you know the story, some are given five talents, uh, others are given two talents, and, and, and another is given one talent. They're given responsibility and capacity to, to serve God. And, and the story goes on to say that those who were given five uh, brought back to the king a uh, production of five more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. The other who received two came back and they said, we, we've... Uh, We've uh, fulfilled the responsibility and, and sought to, to uh, accomplish the potential and capacity that you gave to us. And here we bring two more back, two to you. Well done, he says, good and faithful servant. But there was one who had one, came to him and said, I buried it. Did nothing with it. It went nowhere. And what does he say to that person? Depart from me, you who are cursed. To the eternal fire. Those who are ready are productive, valuing the gift of faith and faithfulness, unlike those who make nothing and go nowhere with their initial count encounter with Christ. Many people claim to have received something from Christ way back when. I went to a Billy Graham crusade or I saw something on TV or whatever. We probably know people in our lives like that. And we also know that they made some sort of profession, some sort of statement about Jesus Christ, but they have gone nowhere and they have done nothing with what they claim to have. They've not grown one little bit toward Christ's likeness. This is who he's talking about. They're not ready. So he talks about those who are behaving badly. He talks about those who think they can get serious later on. And then he talks about those who claim to have some connection with Christ but have never done anything with it. And he says these people are not ready and it's not like you have a second chance. It's the sudden return of Christ and it's over. Or the sudden stopping of the beating of your heart. It's not just about Jesus' return. It's about your death And so he takes them from there, from watchfulness and readiness, to his final courtroom, where he will summon all of the people in all of the world to come before him. He will separate some to his right and some to his left. And the question is, on what basis will he separate them? And he starts to go down a list of, well, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you went to visit me. And 
Oh, so it's just about charity. If we are just nice to people. No, no, no. He said, On the right are, my, are the blessed who receive their inheritance determined at the, at the creation of the world. What is being played out in our lives is proof and evidence that we are among the blessed. So Jesus is saying here that, that um, it's not a scramble in our lives to strategically and tactically do good things to people so that we will be entitled to inheritance. It is we are entitled to inheritance because we have given proof in our life that we were genuine and real. We were watchful and ready and redeemed. And uh, this isn't a general call out to charity either. He says, to the least of these, my brothers... Jesus is very specific about this. It is how you treated the body of Christ. God is not a feeling. Our uh, relationship with God is not based upon a feeling. Jesus Christ is a real living person. And he bases our authenticity not on how we feel about things, but by how we treat the real person of Christ. And they said, when did we see you sick or naked or in need? Jesus Christ has always presented himself as identifying with those who are in his family. He said, you demonstrate that you are truly legitimately in the family by how you treat one another. And you demonstrate that you are not in the family of God by the fact that you ignored the necessary treatment of one another. And, and most of them said, we, we didn't even notice. Right. Because it's not a prescribed tactic and strategy. It's the natural flow of a genuine heart. You don't even remember the nice things you've done, the nice phone call you made, the important thing that you did, the, the card that you sent, the, 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 the check that you sent to somebody to help them and to lift them up. You don't even remember that stuff. Because you weren't in some sort of mercenary fashion seeking to buy God's favor. You made your calling sure by making your life about caring for God's people. The sheep care for Jesus, the goats don't. He says the least of these brothers of mine, by the way. That means specific care to those of lower status. Inheritance is not earned, it's granted to those who can prove they are legitimate members of the family. And so here we have this amazing moment that we will all face and of all the grand visional accomplishments that we may sacrifice over acts of mercy are the big measurement to Jesus so what if you choose in closing to bypass loyalty to Christ I didn't um, 
specifically point this out in every case, but I'm going to give you a listing right now in this very small section of Scripture from Jesus' own words. This is the red-letter version. I hope that's the last time you'll ever hear me say that. The whole Bible's the red-letter version. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What if you're not watchful? What if you're not ready? What if Jesus comes back and you're not loyal to the king? Later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This is the same Jesus who you earlier in this sermon agree that is going to return suddenly because he says he is. But he also says that those who are ready will go into eternal life. Those who are not ready will go into eternal punishment. We are not judged by works, but by evidences of genuine saving grace. It's possible to do the right things and not be the real thing, but it's impossible to be the real thing and not do the right things. Your life backs up the truth of your confession. That's why Peter said in 2 Peter 1.10, So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. As Pastor Steve and the team are coming forward, I just want to say this to you. That according to the king, there are two possible eternal outcomes, only two. There's no middle ground, there's no compromise, there's nothing different than this. For each one in this room, there is coming that day, and it will either be eternal punishment or eternal life. That's it. So this is... An amazing, gracious warning to all of us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself that I am coming, I am coming suddenly. You won't know the day or the hour and I'm telling you this is how I'm going to make the dividing time. It will be too late to fix it then. So I'm warning you now so you're ready ready for my return are you ready are you ready this morning as you look down that list and understand those pictures that story are you ready are there are there outstanding things in your life that that you've been putting off that god's been been urging your heart the first of which is to come and give your life totally to christ for salvation have you been putting that off thinking, well, maybe I'll do that when I'm old. I'll get serious later on about religious things. Man, you're old this second. doesn't matter what age you are. You are old this second because Christ could take your life like that. You are old this second. 
or you've heard it before and you've done nothing with your life, then you, you've not come to know Christ then. Or you're behaving badly behind his back, thinking, well, you know, I'll get that fixed too before he comes. You, you've got no time to fix that. Maybe you've never responded to his call in your life to, to be baptized and identify yourself publicly as part of his family. Maybe, maybe you've never identified with our church and membership. I, I don't know what's outstanding in your life. Maybe you've never turned your back on, on something that's dogging you and that's, that's putting you in a, in a separate state, a, a, a barrier between you and the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I'm telling you that Jesus himself, who has given us a peek into our future, is telling us that you need to be ready right now. There's not another hour to waste. I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Steve's going to lead us. And I'm going to uh, invite you to stand right now as I pray. And I'm going to make this place available to you for a decision this morning. If you're ready, you're ready for the Lord, you're ready if He comes this second, would you put your hand up? Are you ready? If you're ready, if you couldn't put your hand up, you need to get ready today. As we sing, I'm going to be here. I'll meet with you, pray with you. Other pastors will be here with you. If you need to get ready today, then you come forward. This is decision time, right now. Our Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would draw the hearts of those who need to get ready right now to not wait another moment to come and give their lives fully to Christ in every way. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.